Hi everyone and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name's Steve Ingham. The idea behind these podcasts is to explore the science, the art, the purpose and the origins of high performance. I'm keen to discuss these concepts, the people who've achieved at the highest level, those people who have been driving force in making high performance happen, and from those who've explored and researched aspects of human performance in real depth. You can subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or for more performance insights at supportingchampions.co.uk. Just want to say a big thank you to Physio Mike, James Worley, Andy Wiseman, and Dave Makutovich Performance Science for some fantastic reviews on iTunes this week. Cheers, guys. In this week's episode, I talked to Joe Meek, aka The Running Squirrel. Now, Joe is one of the world's leading ultra-endurance runners. Let me give you a few facts and figures about her accomplishments. In 2013, Joe was second woman across the line in Marathon de Sable. In 2014, she was first in the Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica, which is a 225-kilometer race, which she completed in 29 hours, 17 minutes and 19 seconds. She was also fifth in the Comrades Marathon, fourth in the World 100-kilometer Championships. And in 2017, Joe was the, the first woman in the Wings for Life run in Bratislava. Uh, Joe has some personal bests that, that would be, rival any endurance runner in the world. 10 kilometer time of 34 minutes 36, marathon time of 2 hours 46, and a 100 kilometer time of 7 hours 43. Now, Joe's going to be a tough and determined person. You'd expect that of any ultra endurance runner. But it was fascinating to hear how Joe reframes many of the challenges, difficulties and discomforts of ultra running and how she turns that into a privilege, a choice and a, and a joy to be doing what she's doing. She shares the insights of how she's already looking forward ahead to new goals, including this year's Mont Blanc Marathon in July. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so for people who don't know you, uh, you're an ultra runner, uh, you're a former triathlete, sport science, sports scientist, physiotherapist, army captain. You're like some sort of physical polymath. Uh, you seem to have done everything and anything. <laughs> Um, I think the way you've grouped it together does make it sound like that, but it, it never started like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so people know you as the running squirrel we're gonna have to we're gonna have to clarify that before we go any further so give us the origin of the of the moniker okay so um it's not actually like i have a great affinity with squirrels either but <laughs> my dog does and when i started training for my first ultra he was very much part of that training we'd go for uh for runs and he'd shoot off chasing squirrels and we had no option but to um to chase after him so it soon became squirrel and we'd all head off. It wow. eventually became like a fartlek session uh, for five or six miles around the woods. And that was a really enjoyable session. It was something I actually could look forward to um, of a weekend. And I joked that if I completed or finished well in this marathon, uh, ultra marathon that I was training for, I would get a tattoo of a squirrel and... <laughs> I did. <laughs> you've got you've got the tattoo, have you? I got you? tattoo. I got yeah, a little squirrel on my ankle. So uh. oh, come on, let's <laughs> let's have a look. Let's have a look. Uh, you see that one? Just up a bit. <laughs> it's a running squirrel as well. Fantastic. Running squirrel. That, that's brilliant. So you, you've kind of so the, the dog features in your blog quite a bit. What's your dog's name? He's called Rufus, and he's a real. He's 15 now and it's almost a privilege to be with him because he's I know that 
you know, every day is quite precious. So, yeah, he features yeah. a lot. He doesn't do any running, but he's there to lick the salty legs after I finish the run, which is good enough. <laughs> wow. So uh, I often get a bit suspicious of people reinventing fartlek sessions or interval sessions into high intensity interval sessions or uh, all these sorts of uh, special terms for effectively lifting the pace up a bit but you've you've got a nice back to basics natural version that's the origin of your of your nickname yeah and it took the pressure off looking at the watch or just thinking we should be working now it was really nice actually it was, it was really good fun it was a long time ago well I say a long time ago a long time since he could he could join us on that but actually right. we still sort of do it so <laughs> right. just without the dog so you, you you don't Rufus now is getting a bit old he's not chasing squirrels but you might still be yeah, well, actually, he will give a squirrel a good pop. He will go for it. <laughs> he doesn't get very far. Fantastic. So I, I'm really interested to talk to you about uh, these these madcap ultra endurance events that you you do. But but before we go into that, I'd, I'd be keen to to kind of ask kind of your origins. Where really where, where are you from? And you know, the, sort of your memories of growing up. And uh, tell us a little bit about the childhood for you. Yeah, so I wasn't actually very sporty when I was younger. And I think the the sport aspect of came from the fact that I wanted to lose a little bit of weight as a teenager. I, was, I wasn't sporty, so I wasn't picked naturally for team sports. And the option, if you don't do team sports at school, is you have to do the run, the cross-country run or whatever is on. And, um, and that combined with wanting to conform and be the typical teenager – I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll get into running. And I think if you stick at something long enough, you, you get reasonably good at it. Um, I grew up in Devon, Somerset and Devon, really, but mainly Devon. Um, and so, in theory, I had the best playing ground to mm. run over Dartmoor. But at that time, I just stuck to the roads. And then after that, I became a road runner. Now, every time I go back, I just want to run on Dartmoor. And I think, gosh, what a wasted opportunity. But you, you never know how it's going to pan out, do you? So, uh, so yeah, I grew up in Devon and then I've moved um, around with work um, and actually our house is on the market and we're going back down to Devon soon. So, uh, Oh, wow. You, also, you, yeah. Moving you know. to, to get back to the running terrain that you're so so important to you as a, as a youngster. Yeah, and also it feels like home. So I think at some stage in your life you want to almost go home, don't you? So uh, we're going to... Uh, up sticks and settle down somewhere for a while yeah a bit longer than we have done but at the moment I live in Hampshire which has been great and uh I work up here still and uh yeah it's uh it's convenient so so you didn't ha- have that sort of almost quite conventional career as a as a sports person in terms of you know found it that you're dominating people at sports day necessarily but you you got into running because like uh just wanted to feel a bit better about your your body image for example yeah no I was really my mum said she really struggled to get me to do any sort of sport she perhaps thought I was musical but I definitely wasn't musical um I no I, I started running and so from the very beginning all I've done is gone out and done a long run you know long run being variable now obviously nothing like I do now but um I did join a, a local running club Tavistock Athletics Club when I lived in that area in Devon um and that saw me get into the cross country a lot more and I really enjoyed those sort of cross country races so I did come up through the cross country system a little right. bit I ran um for the club and for the county and and actually picked up an England vest when I won the English cross country nationals I think no one else turned out. I couldn't believe it, but I, uh, <laughs> I still managed to get an England vest out of it. 
and then um but really it was road and I knew that it was going to be the marathon that I really wanted to train for um but everyone kept saying oh you're too young too young nowadays you know 20 isn't too young but at the time it was it was deemed a, a bit young so I stuck to uh, sort of shorter distances and I did play around on the track a little bit but it just wasn't for me right. um and then yeah so did stuck to the road did road running uh races marathon and then um yeah four years ago made the decision four years ago to make the decision to move up to ultras so give us some so 20 years old where you're contemplating the marathon give us some ages how old were you when you when you almost thought actually you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bit of exercise, uh, lose a bit of, you know, tone up a little yeah. bit. Um, I think I was probably late teens. It's really right. difficult to remember, but I remember when I first went to university, I was running. So, right. yeah, late teens. And I had done, I'd represented the club then. So, yeah. And the England vest? When did that Oh, that was a bit later. So that was, um, yeah, that was probably 26 or something. Right. Yeah, so that, that's interesting in the sense that you when when did you start realizing I'm actually quite good at this? I can I can do this. Um, God, I don't know. It's sort of I knew that I enjoyed it. I suppose when I went to university, um, so I did. I wanted to do physiotherapy when I first applied to university and didn't get in. So I I went through clearing and got sports science, which which was great, but it didn't really tick the box of what I wanted to do so I used that time at university just to have fun and get into running a little bit more and I also got into triathlon then a little bit um so I was very much mixing up but I realized that actually if I'm you know consistently coming top five or top three then I I can't be too bad so I stuck at it I actually really stuck at triathlon a bit more until someone said to me you should just stick with the running and that made me realize that I obviously didn't have natural skills on the bike or in the pool so okay um I just went back to the running but I, I gave it a good shot um at the time mm. um did you find yeah. there was a so, did you find there was a benefit in terms of uh, doing additional modes of exercise with cycling and swimming in terms of just just giving you an overall background in in training because triathletes tend to train a bit more than runners in the sense runners. that they can cope with a bit more load because it's a different variety of do you know what? at the time I didn't but now when I cross train I really do right so at the time I think it was almost all consuming I've just got to get as much as I can in in hindsight it's a wonderful thing but now what I realized I was constantly doing all the way up through my marathon training I was just training too hard and now I can see the error of my ways but uh yeah, not at the time. So I didn't really feel the benefit. Um, I obviously just was quite lucky without being injured, and I didn't really start picking up injuries till I was sort of late twenties, early thirties. Um, maybe that was a result of the cross training. I don't know. But, right, um, okay. Yeah, I don't know. So you said study sports science just as something to do whilst you're training. Well, I did it as a degree, but basically I didn't want to because I wanted to be a physiotherapist. I always right. wanted to do that. Um, I was pleased that someone actually accepted me. I'm one of those people that you could probably tell by my running career that I work really hard at something, but I'm not actually that gifted in terms of whether it's academia or, you know, millions of fast twitch muscle fibers. But if I, 
yeah, I, I'm, I've got so much stubbornness and willpower that I'll just stick at it and I realise that you can get reasonably good at something. So, for example, um, although I didn't get the A-levels I wanted to, to study um, physiotherapy, I knew that if I waited until I'd done something else and come back to it, that, that um, they might accept me more with life experience. Yeah. So 10 years later, I applied and I got in and then I did physiotherapy. Right. So, yeah, I'm pretty persistent if I want to achieve something. Has that always been there, Joe? That, that stubbornness? Yeah, I think it has. <laughs> yeah, because people ask me, um, you know, how do I prepare to do an ultramarathon mentally? Or, but actually, it's quite innate. It comes, it really does come with from within. I don't, I don't really struggle with that mental resolve. Right. Um, so. so, what your mother might have said was that uh, you've never done any physical exercise. You're being stubborn about not doing it, and then, and then it, that, that some sort of switch was flicked yeah it really was it was um something that um I guess if you're told to do something you're never really wanting to do it and it has to come from within and you know I was looking at everyone around me and thought well I could definitely be a bit thinner a bit more like them so I thought I'll start running mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so, so that was so the, yeah. the sports science degree wasn't necessarily what your your sort of chosen path so so now you know what you know and in terms of your experience about uh being a top ultra endurance runner what is there anything that you learn from your sports science degree that you thought i, I that i use that today still I, it was actually all pretty useful so for typical things like really understanding what vo2 max is and things like that is all pretty useful and actually nowadays we do it differently but well you still can do it like that but we use the old douglas bags to measure it and yeah. and i realize um you know that's still pretty much gold standard but they've changed it it's a lot more uh, electronic but it was really useful to see and understand actually what that means from a you know your, your own body's perspective mm. um we covered quite a lot of elements on the sports science degree i guess a bit of sports psychology but i'm not really sure if i absorbed it all um as such um it's difficult to know what, what you've picked up on and what you've left behind but it definitely gave me a broader understanding so for example I obviously studied physiotherapy which is fine and now I'm currently doing um part-time distance master's course and the first year was very much physiology based right and I felt like I knew quite a lot and I'm assuming that just came from the sports science degree so that has been quite useful yeah in that respect interesting Uh, yeah um and um and likewise in terms of if you if you went back and almost were teaching or giving top tips to sports scientists have you from your sporting background have you got sort of a a nugget of information about training or preparing for competition that you would you would share with people it's interesting actually because i've been asked recently to give a couple of talks by uk athletics and they want me to talk about running and physiotherapy um and just merge the two so generally what I do is introduce myself talk a little bit about running and then get on to the um how to look after yourself in terms of starting from a warm-up racing warming down and then just common injuries there's so much that comes out I, I can't even specify there's one specific thing that I would say this is the most useful thing but I, it seems that most people struggle um they want to run, but they struggle. And I think the the only thing I can say is that you, you've you got to start with making running a bit of a routine for you. If it fits into your routine, then, then you'll make it work. 
after that, loads more questions generally arrive. But uh, right. so about yeah. habit habit formation, habit formation, right? Interesting. Yeah. Just to get the consistency, because running is just about being consistent, really. Mm. That's um, interesting. I think that that's um, that's such a truism because often people who are supporting athletes and people are pursuing performance they're trying to add more and more and more and it becomes impractical to to integrate all of these different ideas into their routines uh, yeah you know, power breed device a protein shake uh, stretch ice do all these sorts of things and then you haven't got time for training sometimes <laughs> it's really really time consuming you know you can see why people think they want to go full-time um you know there's pros and cons to that because if you're full-time then you've got nothing else to think about um mm. and that can be in itself quite detrimental but um that's but yeah that's interesting you you is that something you've observed in terms of having a having a career that um a dangerous danger of saying a real job but, but you know what i mean in terms of yeah well i suppose a, a job where you know you're going to get paid um yeah i i think um what can happen is you know you're cramming your running in and you think i just need to get rid of the work aspect and then i could be a much better runner but actually then you i think what happens is what the work had previously curtailed you for the right reason so you don't overtrain or you don't commit to too much um in my mind what really giving up work should do should probably increase your recovery time but people seeing it as increased training time and i think it's just finding that balance Mm. um i from experience i think personally i struggle with getting the recovery and i'm not sure whether it's due to work it's probably just due too much that i fit just too much into my life (laughs) but yeah but um I think most people, it's just finding that balance and that's really difficult because in order to find that balance, you almost have to go through a period where you've become injured or you've become ill and that's just miserable. <laughs> so, uh, the constant yeah. tightrope that, that we always talk about that if you, if you never break down, you probably haven't pushed hard enough. And um, if you Possibly, do break down yeah. too often, then, then you've pushed too hard and you won't know until you've, you've experienced you've that. You've done it, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult. It is, although running can be quite scientific, there's a real art form to it as well. Mm. So, so that's interesting in terms of the, the actually work providing almost the, the barrier to further training um, as opposed to enhancing your recovery. It's just preventing something else. <laughs> Um, yeah what about yeah, um, in theory I'd love to um, go for a run, have the time to sit down and have a really leisurely breakfast and then you know do whatever I need to do stretch or ice whatever needs icing you know uh really focus on on that aspect of recovery but probably what I would have done is a much longer run and then that and actually would that have been good or not yeah okay um, yeah and what, about, and what about work offering some sort of other outlet that just switches you off in terms of that that um predilection for us to just obsess about stuff so if you're full-time you are constantly thinking about your athletic performance as opposed to being able to do something else that just switches the mind off to something else yeah no I'd agree there's two things that moderate me probably three things probably work definitely moderates me otherwise I would constantly think about what run I've got to do or um and then my husband moderates me and the dog (laughs) so in terms of you know I know that he won't run with me anymore so I have to allocate a less 
probably a shorter run in order to get him walked before I go to work. Yeah. Walking is not such a bad thing. You know, it's uh, still time on your feet for an ultra runner. But, it, you know, sometimes I get frustrated because I think, oh, I just want to run that little bit further. But, you know, yeah. why? When So, yeah, I think um, anything that's good. But also, if you are then injured, at least I know I've got something to fall back on and not just become a miserable person okay. <laughs> focused on what I can't do. Rather, I get out there and, and get on with my job, which which I think helps. So. Yeah, well, I can imagine that physiotherapy gets you, at least, it keep, keeps your arms strong, doesn't it? <laughs> You're always, yeah, it's uh, really strong thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of cross-training in itself. So, um, so sports science degree, then you joined the army. So tell us about that. So I actually, so I did a sports science degree and I, it didn't really qualify me for anything in particular that I could see I wanted to go into. I knew I didn't want to work in a lab or anything like that. So actually, I while I was thinking, I took about, I don't know, six or eight months where I, I did really rubbishy jobs. Of, I mean, they were fulfilling in terms of, so they were, um, I worked in an old folks home and just helped wash old people. It was all really to enhance my physio application. I, I joined a cleaning agency and went around and helped old people just clean their houses. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, whilst I was doing that, because the hours were fairly flexible, I was training to be a triathlete. So I gave being a triathlete a good eight months. Um, and, and I wasn't too bad, but it was really the running that um, sort of set me up. And at, at the end of that, I was realising I can't do this as a job forever. So I... I thought I'd join the army. I thought, well, I like being outside, pretty naive, and um, I'll, I'll give it a go. I like the fitness aspect of it. When I joined the army, there was absolutely no time to train for three disciplines. I thought, well, I'm definitely just going to stick to running. Right. Um, and I did as much running as I could. I wouldn't have said I got much better in the army. Um, it, was it was interesting because, obviously, um, the army encouraged fitness, but because I joined as an officer, I was pretty limited on time. Um, I, w- I was based up um, sort of Abingdon, Herbright Way, so Surrey um, and Oxfordshire Way. Um, and I joined Woking Athletics Club. And they really got me onto the track twice a week. And it was a result of that that I actually got my England vest, I think. Right. Um, so the England vest happened during, during the army time. Um, but I knew I only wanted to do a short service commission, so I just did four years. And in that time, um, I felt I could reapply to do physio. My um, commanding officer at the time gave me a really good review when I left, um, which obviously went on to the University Admissions application. And, um, yeah, I got accepted by Plymouth University. So on leaving the army, um, there was a bit of a gap where I worked in uh, – running shoe shop for a while and then I went to um uh went to university in Plymouth to do physio can I ask you about your army experience did you did you experience anything on the on the front line so I went um it just so happened that uh second Iraq war had started um so I went out as telic two um so that was pretty early on out into um Shiber airfield which was in iraq um so yeah i did four or five months out there got a medal so mm. in theory you joined to go to war which i did you know i'm still not sure if well leaving politics aside i'm still not sure you have the right reasons but you know yeah. I, I was paid to do a job and, and i did it so 
Yeah, so did that. And what, was your, what was your job out in, in Iraq? So I was um, troop commander of fuel and general transport troop. So I joined the logistic corps, yeah. and in that there was obviously different areas, but mine was at that time um, leading. I had 40 men and women and their vehicles, and it was our duty essentially to do the almost the milk run in the morning, so drop off ammunition, fuel. So we'd get up really early. Uh, distribute it all to the front line do a big circling and come back most mornings and evenings depending on you know how things were on the front line mm. um so yeah no it was good it was um that seems like a long time ago now it was um it's what we trained for so yeah. in theory it, it it seemed it seemed um just like Finally, we were getting to constantly training the army for something. Finally, getting to do actually what we were, you know, training for. So, and and in terms of the, you know, the the army offers you uh, the structure, the routine, but also the discipline and the and the, the the training, as you say, whether it's for the the actual operations, but but it provides you with training per se, doesn't it? Um, how do you do? You still draw upon the experience. I mean, what did it offer you uh, in terms of resources now that you can draw upon? I've always been fairly organized and disciplined so I don't think it there were some really dark times going through certain aspects of training like basic training and um, I think if I know I can dig that deep at that time then you know considering when you do do an ultra there are times when you just feel awful but you have to remind yourself actually you've chosen to do this and yeah. you paid to do it on the whole <laughs> so how bad can it actually be you know it's not something you've been forced to do whereas sometimes I felt going through some of the army training stuff was something I was being forced to do and if okay. you can survive that then I think it's an easy parallel to think well actually what am I whinging about now you know it's yeah. um so there were times there were times when I was you know scared being so close to the front line and under fire and I think, well, at least I'm not being shot at, you know, in, in a race. So how it can never be that bad, you know. So there, I guess there are things you can draw on, um, and and what it did drill into you is the importance of looking after yourself. So if you, for example, on a really basic level, have a sore foot, you feel like you're getting a blister, stop and address it there and then. Don't let it build up because right. though blisters are really, they're only a skin injury and they're tiny. They can be really exquisitely painful. So it does treat you to look after, teach you to look after yourself. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so the uh, wading through mud, hill climbs, um, carrying load, probably in cold water at some point, all those sorts of experiences that you've not designed yourself as a training program, but but you're building up a reservoir of experiences that ultimately you can say, well, I've 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 done that. Uh, so <laughs> this is actually yeah, a bit I easier. Think so. Yeah, and because you're not just trying to prove something to yourself, which you are in a race or against the clock, you're trying to prove something to others as well. And also being asked to lead, because I joined an officer, I went through Sandhurst, and it's very much about leadership. So often you're going through all of that, but you're leading other men and women. Well, you're not going to give in to that. You want to show that you can lead. So um, you have to think of them first and foremost, and then yourself. So it does teach you perspective, I guess, in mm. hindsight. Um, but, yeah. Very no, interesting. Uh, um, 
so I'm I'm interested to know how this this ultra stuff started for you then. So you'd already got an endurance background, but where was the sort of tipping point from endurance to ultra endurance? So I'd always wanted to do the marathon de Saab. It just been looming in the background, and um, there came a stage where I said to my husband, "I really want to do it." He said, "Right, if you do it, I'm doing it." So we both committed to it one year. We got in, and this was 2013. Um, and that was the tipping point. That was, we trained really specifically, we dedicated everything to it, it's a hugely expensive race, um, especially for the both of us. And I knew that if I could do well in that, then I'd probably make ultra running. I'd move away. I think what I'd been previously doing in the past was constantly thinking, well, perhaps I can get a better marathon time. Yeah. Now I realize I completely left all my marathon training in training <laughs> my marathon times in training I just trained too hard never recovered enough but um I mean I'm not too old I guess I could give it another go I'm just not sure I want to go through the pain of <laughs> training for a marathon again because they are undoubtedly one of the hardest things uh, you can train for the clock never lies and and all that but um yeah I, and to be honest I absolutely love what the ultra scenes got to offer now I mean it's enormous it's it grew when I did the marathon the sub it was already reasonably popular otherwise i wouldn't have heard of it but now it everyone wants to be doing an ultra so um yes there's, there's so much out there that i try and so since i did the marathon to sub i've tried to do different races each year just so i can experience a lot of them different countries um different mountains trails road you know different uh types of races as well so, so it was the marathon de sable that got me into ultra running was it completing marathon de sable or was it placing uh in in it that you thought ah okay i could i can do this i was now. never going to just complete it <laughs> i was always going to compete in it so okay um and it just so happened i came second so i'm still actually the highest british female finisher i did actually try and go back this year just to see if i could better that um but I couldn't get in. <laughs> so um, maybe next year. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, It's pretty fluid. Sometimes I think, well, just leave it. You did really well. Leave it where you're at. Or sometimes I think, well, perhaps I should just try again. Yeah. But um, if I came away with fifth, I'd probably be really devastated and wish I hadn't done it. You know, it's a uh, right. better. So it is interesting that you've, you've done so many different types as opposed to specializing in a certain, a certain one, for example, whether it's, uh, the, I suppose a comparison might be if, it, if a, a triathlete wants to go from endurance to ultra, then they go to the Ironman and they're an yeah. Ironman triathlete. Um, but you've done the comrades, you've done every, you know, everything going. Um, is that is that something you're particularly interested in, the variety of it, as opposed to turning up each year and trying to better a given performance or placing? Yeah, it's definitely the variety. I love to experience different things. Um, yeah, I haven't done the same race twice. Having said that this year, so there's a series in the summer called the, um, UTMB, so Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. And the main race is all the way around Mont Blanc. So hundred miles, 170 kilometers around Mont Blanc through France, Switzerland, and Italy. Um, it's a bit of a running festival. Um, and so although you've got the main race you've also got three or four other races so you can do one half of it you can do the other half they vary about 100 kilometers each and then you can do smaller races so they're trying to get 
people encourage people into running with the smaller distances or perhaps just experience with one half of the race. So I've done one half of the series, the um, Mont Blanc race. So this year I'm going to go back and do the whole thing. So in theory, I'm going back back to a race, but okay. I've only done one half of it. But that's that's the only one really. So I do really like the variation. I think it's because I don't live in the mountains, so I can't be specific to being a mountain runner. Um, I've got access to roads, which are incredibly easy to train on in the winter because you've got street lights um, when it's dark and things like that. But I've also got access to trails, which I can then use during the daylight or in the summer. So I do try and combine a little bit of both. I also really love the fact that um, I don't, although I like going out just and plodding for a run, I also like the fact that you can fit in a bit of speed work. So because of that, I suppose I do throw myself on the trails, um, on the road sometimes just to mix it up, use a bit of speed. Um, So so given the variety then, how much do you tune your training to the event demands that are coming up? So um, you've got the roads or the hills or the trails or presumably you're running on beaches if you're going to the Marathon de Sable, you know, the, the, that sort of preparation. How much do you tune? Yeah, no, I will really. If it's, I'll have one A race a year or maybe two, and I will really fine-tune it towards that race. I can get away with just turning up um, and doing a race because I've got a really good level of fitness. But invariably what I've discovered is it's if I haven't finally tuned it, then um, it it doesn't it doesn't work that well i'll just it would just be a mediocre performance so for me i have to really rely on training to get me to where i want to be rather than just hope for the best and mm. talent <laughs> so, and, and what does your what is a, a normal week so so the um the mont blanc is coming up the, that's the end of august race. yeah yeah end of august so you're, you're pre- in the depths of preparing for that at the moment what's a typical week for you at the moment well i it's sort of in the depths. I mean, it's 12 weeks away, so I'm beginning to think about it now. Um, so at the moment, I, I suppose my training on the whole doesn't look typically different to someone's marathon training. So I'll try and get two or three faster runs in a week, long run at the weekend. Uh, the only thing w- that will vary is my long run will probably become a lot longer. So for a marathon, you'd probably do two, two and a half hours, depending on what, how fast you want to run it or how long you think you're going to be out there. Whereas I might consider going for three or four hours um, for a long run. I haven't, I haven't done that yet, but uh, that will be on my radar. And then perhaps some back-to-back, so at the weekend, maybe do a long run on a Saturday and a Sunday, yeah. just to get some consistency over the over you know a long way and targeting into that fatigue element a little bit. So, um, But it doesn't vary. I'm not... Although I used to run reasonably high miles, um, considering I've always worked, I don't now run. I find that cross training helps. So I can fill the bulk bulk up of training with maybe going on the bike or literally using a cross trainer or going into the gym. So I don't run hugely high miles. Right. Okay. So that that's a strategy you've adopted over the years in terms of just mitigating injuries and just yeah well managing them yeah i think after a while they never really go you just end up having to manage them but um so what proportion of your training is is cross training i'm curious um so i will cross train probably three or four times a week out of how many sessions so i'll train every day so i'll train six days a week 
and generally try and do two things a day. Yeah. Um, but that could be, so I won't ever really run double runs anymore. Right. Okay. It will be a, maybe a run and then I'll go on the bike or run and go into the gym or a run and then just literally do some ab work or something. Yeah. Um, so I will try and train twice a day. I have to set the weekends. That's not quite, doesn't happen quite so often, but, um, but yeah, during the week it's easier to fit in as a routine with work and stuff. So, mm. so, so, um, do you, do you train first thing in the morning? Tell us about the sort of daily routine. Yeah, no, I get up. I'm a morning person anyway, so I'll get up early, train before breakfast. What's early for, for you? Uh, six, five thirty-six. Um, run before breakfast and then walk the dog, commute to work, go to work, and then I'll try and train again at lunchtime rather than get in and train again. Okay. Um, why, why is that? Is there a particular schedule? scheduling reason or just your tiredness or your body clock yeah a lot of it's my body clock I used to train religiously Tuesdays and Thursdays with an athletic club and what I was finding is that we I wouldn't get in till half past nine at night and then you eat or but actually I found it really hard to get my heart rate down and that that's the sleep that night wasn't very good and I think that had a knock-on effect um so now I've moved on to doing a lot of training on my own it's easier just to fit it in in the morning Mm. if I know that I've got um it's obviously harder to get your heart rate up in the morning um so sometimes if I know I've got a session that I want to meet maybe a target heart rate or um I, I've got a particular pace I want to run at, I might consider doing that at lunchtime or in the evening but um yeah I, mm. I, I would say I'm I try and be flexible but I'm not actually that flexible because <laughs> I do like a routine so um yeah I'm probably not that laid back about training. I tr- I definitely try and fit it in the morning to get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah, although you've, if you've got the, the the routine that that structures things, so you don't have to think about things too much. But it sounds like you've got an awful lot of variety in your training anyway. Um, so you've got the flexible, adaptable, sort of quite free aspect inbuilt, but you've provided some limits to it. Yeah, yeah, because. Obviously, I'll get up and run. Now, if I'm injured, for example, and I can't get up and run, I have to then seek out a swimming pool or a, a bike to train on. That becomes more difficult because everywhere I want to commute to at that time in the morning, the roads are really bad. So then I really need to, yeah. uh, and it was just the journey would just take double. So I really then need to think about um, how that works out. So um, it is really pre-planned. I can't just get up and think, what shall I do today? Because by then it's too late and I'm sat in traffic or missed work or something. So everything has to be really pre-planned and do you um how do you manage the the winter months uh, when it's all you know it doesn't get light till eight nine o'clock in the morning yeah I, I actually use the treadmill a you fair do. bit in the winter yeah. yeah um at the weekends i get out and obviously on the trails or mm. uh whatever but a treadmill or a head torch yeah so yeah and and um tell us about how you how you manage yourself on on some of those longer runs um uh, what any strategies that you use uh in terms of just coping mentally or physically do you do you go out and plod or do you do you vary it do you structure it so on my long runs i probably just go out and do whatever pace uh i feel like um but i will try and choose a route one that's appropriate to the race i'm training for so if i need a really hilly route then i'll you know go onto the coastal path or something um and 
the rest of it is just dependent. If I'm feeling like it's going to be a bit of a struggle, I'll listen to music. Um, but if not, I'll just go out and just get it done. Mm. I go out early, so there's not many people about. I just really like it. It's really nice just to hear the, you know, the morning skylarks. And if I run along the river, we've got a few otters in the river. Might get a chance to see them or the odd water vole. Or I, I guess it's just a bit of me time as well. So you're looking for rodents again, aren't you, to chase? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't beat the animals I like, I like that you're chasing the birds and the otters and the um so um so that's really fascinating so you've got this you've got this uh mont blanc race coming up um in terms of you, there's the variety aspect that you're interested in but this was a new one for you is that does it feel like this is a bit of a step up and yeah i'm really respectful of this distance I've done, so this is obviously 170 kilometres and I've done 100 kilometres of the course. So that extra 70 kilometres, that extra 40 miles just makes or breaks people. So I'm trying to ask as many people that have done it for advice and what they can tell me and just be aware that it's all probably in the pacing. Um, so, yeah, my training will be really dictated as to what I learn up uh, as I go along in terms of asking people and um, uh, yeah and see I mean uh, running when you get that far you're never going to train be able to go out and do your long run for 20 hours so uh, a lot of it is just mental and I feel fairly confident that my mental resilience is strong enough but you never know when you're feeling really sick or your stomach hurts or your feet hurt you you never know how you're going to react but um if I try and think of all the bad things that could happen and try and reason through them, at least I know I'm halfway there to having a reaction already pre-planned for when I'm on the course, whether it's I'll oh, get on with it, stop whinging or, well, if you feel sick, just be sick and then you might feel better. You know, there could be something that you can do that when you're tired, you don't think of. But if you've kind of thought of those uh, situations prior to the run, then at least, you know, you've got a pre-planned response. So... So in terms of you managing the transition up to to this this next step up this the the additional miles but also the overall demand but you you're talking about this what we'd call the sort of what if or sometimes we call it the pre-mortem uh, and actually thinking through everything that could go wrong and having a bit of a plan of action but also thinking about how your thought processes can can cope uh, yeah. you're, you're you're anticipating those those demands sorting them out now and that sounds like it's uh i mean it's something we observe with high performers time and time again that they get on the start line and there's no real surprises because they've sorted them all out beforehand yeah i mean in an ideal world i go well, how can i train so i don't feel sick but that's just never going to happen at some stage you will feel awful i mean in a 24-hour day if you were to stay up for 24 hours at some stage, you, you wouldn't feel right. Yeah. So how can I expect to stay up for 24 hours and be running and feel right for the whole time? It's impossible. So, But it's just accepting that actually maybe you will feel awful for the next half an hour. But as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other, then you'll come through it. Um, and, and maybe thinking about what you can change. So if you are feeling sick, what, what do you fancy? And then seeing if they've got that at the next aid station or, or whatever, really. So, yeah, trying to trying to be as positive as I can for, for, for the race. 
um, and planning. There's loads of things you can't control, but if you can control the controllables, at least you're halfway there. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I mean, the training is the easy bit. <laughs> it's the enjoyable bit, but the rest is just thinking about uh, the what ifs. Yeah. But it does sound like you're you're preparing meticulously. The old adage that we we talk about hard training, easy combat or that that's that's the formula that you're you're trying to to work to here rather than easy training, hard combat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's going to be hard anyway and I'm prepared to go in fighting hard, but I don't want to fight hard too early. It's a long day. So um yeah, so I think I am and because I only do this for probably one race a year then um, because I do find it pretty exhausting to focus so relentlessly on one race um, then at least I'm not burning myself out so I haven't although I've done I will do other races they are not my a race and I just have to remember that when so yeah it's easier said than done I try not to throw my toys out of the pram anymore no I don't really I used to when I was road racing if it didn't go to plan, I'd be hugely disappointed. But in hindsight, I think my expectations were too high, and now I'm a bit more grounded. Right. So yeah, you live and learn, don't you? You're a little bit easier on yourself, and I suppose that's the that's the delicate balance again of your of if you if you don't put your put the uh, reframe it as a this is my a race, this is my priority, then you're not necessarily going to get the best out of yourself. But um, no. the, de- the delicate balance is that if you pin your hopes on it, then and you know it, it might go well it might not um i know but the beauty about ultra running is so if i compare it to a marathon you can train for 12 16 weeks for a marathon and if it goes wrong you haven't really got much time to turn it around right if you've gone off too fast and you feel awful you haven't really got much time to think well if i just ride this out it'll come good at the other end whereas an ultra you definitely have okay. so there is always that last chance of hope that you can redeem yourself and pull through because other people probably have a, you know, a torrid time as well. So, yeah, it is a bit easier ultra running than marathon training and running. So, mm. well, I <laughs> agree with you on that one. But um, that's interesting. So your uh, so so performance isn't just about the pace that you hold, um, although you it, it, clearly that's that's a, a, a pivotal aspect of it. But it's about managing the 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 blips that will probably almost certainly come uh, yeah. managing those so yeah. that you you can do that better than someone else yeah yeah i think so i'm just reasoning with it yeah mm. that's interesting i like i like the the frame of reasoning with it is is this this dialogue and conversation that you're having with it and the adversity that you've got going on yeah and and the chimp on your shoulder saying <laughs> just stop why do this <laughs> I, I think you, you've probably got a big ape on the other shoulder just dominating <laughs> the sounds of the resources that you've got or a big squirrel. Um, I'm fascinated to find out what what um, what um, animals you're going to be watching up at the, up the top of Mont Blanc uh, <laughs> to, to help the event skip along. So that's really interesting in terms of you managing the, the next step up for, for yourself and how you're you're going into the event thoroughly prepared um have you so i uh, i asked this question uh with a bit of caution what's have you already spotted what might be next like the 2019 challenge that um i'm interested to know whether you're thinking about the challenge next as opposed to the or the one after next as opposed to the next one 
Um, only because I am thinking about what to do, but only because actually you have to plan quite a lot in ultra running because races sell out so quickly. Right. Okay. And often you need points to get into the races. So you have to do maybe a, a race to get into a race. So um, I would really like to do a race in America called Western States. It's a lot. You can put your name in. It's 100 miles and you can put your name in, um, but it's a lottery. So it's actually really hard to get your name picked out of the hat. Right. There is the opportunity to do a race. Again, they're all unfortunately held in America called Golden Ticket Races, um, which means that if you come top three you, or top two, you automatically can get an entry in. So I need to think about if I do a golden ticket race in order to get in or whether I just hope for the lottery again. So, yeah, I am beginning to think about it, but not not much. I probably actually won't really think about it until September time. But in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, what, what can I do next year? But um, I'm not actually putting anything into motion yet. Right, okay. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you've got to a level now where you can – you, you still have to 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 be in in it to win it. You need to be able to get selected and point collect points. Um, but it sounds like you you're almost filling some of your training and your preparation with some of these races that help you get to the next possibility. Yeah, yeah, it can be, it can be. So to do this um, ultra Mont Blanc race, I needed um, on the new scheme 15 points which is essentially three races of five points each I mean they can obviously be six and a four or uh, and actually um, you can choose that over the previous 18 months but because I don't live in the mountains I really need to plan which ones I chose so yeah um, so although I was eligible to apply um, for the race without going through the lottery for the Mont Blanc because I had enough um, sort of elite level points um I still had to get the basic points to prove that I was capable of running in the mountains. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit confusing, really. And a lot a lot of races don't agree with this idea of having to accumulate points for another race and they won't participate. So it's not all smooth running yet, but okay. I, I just go with, with what races I want to do and see what I need to do. Mm. So. So and and I love the fact that you're you're sharing your journey on on the blog. Um, we'll put a link up there, Joe Meek blog. It's a WordPress site, isn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's a nice resource, but it really gives a the sort of a, a, a look behind the curtain as to what it's like uh, experiencing on a day to day basis. You're sharing that journey with other people. Yeah. So every time I do a race, I wanted to uh, write about it. One, so it's a good memory for me to look back over. Um, but and two, it helped people decide if that's a race perhaps they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I tend to do not just focus on the race, but a little bit pre and post. Um, yeah, so that's been really good. Um, before I was into running, I wasn't really on social media, so I'm probably not the best on social media, but I'm trying to embrace it as much as learn from other people and share stuff with them. Um, so now I'm all on Twitter, Instagram and, and Facebook. Yeah, we'll put, we'll um, put the links up for you. You're at, um, Joe underscore meek, um, and um, again, you've got some great, great little insights as to what it's really like. Um, but so fascinating talking to you, uh, Joe. Can I just ask you kind of like you're just to sort of finish up, really? What, what would be your tip for anyone who's thinking about getting started into this sort of area? What would you be your, your top tip of advice for them? If you've selected a goal, so you, you want to get into this area of running, 
um, and you've selected a goal because sometimes that can be the difficult thing then the training has to come from just consistency so um it's almost just making sure there's time and it only has to be three or four times a week just being able to fit in a certain amount of training if you're already a runner then you're already doing that and there are my advice is that ultra running and then you want to probably focus on what you're what you're eating because fueling through the through the races where a lot of people go wrong um so if you're already a runner then think about how you want to fuel yourself but if you're not a runner then just try and get the consistency in and my biggest advice to both sets of people is you've really just got to enjoy it so make sure you choose a goal that really appeals to you because you're out on your feet for a really long time if you're not enjoying it what are you doing out there so enjoy it yeah Yeah. that's lovely and in that that sense of selecting the goal is the crux isn't it You, you you've got to choose something you want to enjoy and and that you can pursue because you've got to have the discipline to provide you that yeah. consistency yeah and you know if that's a local race because then your family can be there or if it's abroad because you want to experience a new country it doesn't really matter it's got to really be um sort of intrinsically motivating for you so mm. yeah fantastic that's a great great summary to 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 cap things off well um so grateful for you to to join us and uh we're wishing you all the best for this mont blanc marathon times four (laughs) yeah no i've got um i go to france tomorrow um and i'm racing on saturday and i'm doing essentially half so it will be 85 kilometers um so i will know how fit i am and what i need to work on once i've done that i I would say my training hasn't been ideal going into it because i've just finished running on the roads but I'll give it what I've got and then I'll know where I'm at. <laughs> so another indication of you wrecking it so that you can work it out. So you go in super prepared. Ultra yeah. ultra preparation has given you that yeah, ultra endurance. Yeah. 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 Um, Joe, we're so, so appreciative. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Cheers, Joe. Thanks, Steve. Take care. You can follow more of Joe's exploits on Twitter at Joe underscore Meek. Look for Joe on Instagram, look for running underscore squirrel, but the one to follow is joemeekblog.wordpress.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm on Ingham underscore Steve and at support underscore champs. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and YouTube. And for more performance insights at supportingchampions.co.uk. Join us next time when I'll be talking to Professor Liz Stokoe about analyzing conversations.